1: The Surgery Podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Knife. Today we want to start by introducing our newest premium product, the Vascular Surgery Oral Board Review Course. We received such great feedback on our General Surgery Oral Board Review Course and the Vascular Surgery Oral Board Review book that we thought we would create a course for those preparing for the vascular certifying exam. Over the next few minutes, we're gonna take you through a breakdown of how this course was created and how it is structured to help you succeed. So Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about the strategy we use while making the content for this course?
0: Yeah, Kevin, it's pretty simple. We started with the v-score curriculum, which has all the clinical topics and operations that are testable on the certifying exam. We then enlisted the help of two other board-certified vascular surgeons to help develop scenarios based on the curriculum. All of us work in different practice types and worked on scenarios based on our areas of expertise. So, every scenario covers the workup, diagnosis, surgical description, and complication management of all the core topics that can be tested on your exam day.
1: Each of the 72 scenarios in our course are recorded by two individuals who are familiar with the material, so they serve as a demonstration of the ideal back and forth between you and the examiner on test day. The key to succeeding on any certifying examination is remembering that you are being tested on being a competent and safe surgeon, not your knowledge of every minute detail. All the scenarios in our course are accompanied by commentary explaining the thought process behind the answers and workup. As well as some additional insight and test taking pearls.
0: Finally, by preparing with our course, we believe you'll find success come exam day. It's important to remember that the unique scenarios you are tested on during your certifying exam experience are meant for your eyes and ears only and should never be posted or discussed outside of the examination room. We can assure you that none of the content in this course was taken from any prior American Board of Surgery examination and was created by us in an attempt to educate future generations of surgeons. Thanks again for your time and trust in us, and together we're ready to dominate the day. Now let's get to our first case. Behind the Knife
1: Premium Case 24, Femoral and puppeteal Aneurysms A 60-year-old man presents to the emergency department with acute-onset burning pain in his right foot that began one day ago accompanied by sensory changes and no motor loss. He's otherwise healthy and has no significant medical history. In the right foot, capillary refill is delayed and pulses are non-palpable when compared to the normal capillary refill and palpable pulses in the left foot. How would you like to proceed?
0: With a pronounced exam difference between the two extremities, I'm concerned for acute limb ischemia of the right leg. I'd perform a targeted history and physical exam focusing on prior occurrence of these symptoms, prior diagnosis of aneurysms, and the quality of pain. I'd also perform a heart, lung, abdomen, and peripheral vascular exam.
1: He has never had this issue before and was never told that he has any aneurysms. The pain is sharp and constant, and his exam is as stated before. What workup would you start
0: with? I'd begin with an ABI, and I'd also order a CTA abdomen and pelvis with bilateral lower extremity runoff.
1: The ABI is 1 on the left and point 0.3 on the right. The CTA shows a normal aorta and inline flow through his right lower extremity until the popliteal artery. He has an occluded 3-centimeter popliteal artery aneurysm, with no pacification of his tibial vessels. What would you like to do now?
0: Given the fact that his outflow is compromised and he has Rutherford 2A acute limb ischemia, I would begin by systemically heparinizing him and perform an emergent angiogram and attempt thrombolysis of the aneurysm to reestablish tibial flow.
1: Okay, so how are you differentiating between Rutherford 2A
0: and not Rutherford 1 or 2B? As he has loss of sensory, he has progressed past Rutherford 1 acute limb ischemia, which is just pain, and he has not lost motor yet. If he did, it would be classified as 2B. Okay, so during your angiogram, you're able to get across and establish tibial flow. At what
1: rate will you run your thrombolysis?
0: I'll administer TPA through the lysis catheter at 1 milligram per hour, along with heparinized saline through the sheath side port.
1: Okay, so are there any any important labs that you'd like to check during your thrombolysis?
0: I would have checked a fibrinogen prior to initiation of thrombolysis. Then I would repeat a CBC, fibrinogen, and coagulation factors every six hours.
1: So you do that, and the next morning he is feeling better and has a palpable pulse in his foot. His follow-up angiogram demonstrates inline flow to the foot through the posterior tibular artery.
0: What would you like to do now? At this time, I would discontinue lysis and have the patient vein mapped in preparation for a bypass to treat and exclude his aneurysm.
1: Okay, so he has good caliber
0: saphenous vein on both legs. Please describe your operation to me. So after the induction of general anesthesia, I'd make a longitudinal incision below the knee posterior to the tibia to expose the below knee popliteal artery, keeping the gastrocnemius muscle posterior. I would then make a longitudinal incision above the knee at the adductor canal to expose the above knee popliteal artery ensuring that the sartorius muscle is posterior. I would then tunnel in an anatomic plane. I'd harvest ipsilateral great saphenous vein through the length of the thigh and place it in vein solution. I'd heparinize the patient to a goal of ACT greater than 250 seconds. I'd reverse the vein, flush it with solution, and repair any defects. I would then perform the proximal anastomosis in an end-to-side fashion, mark the vein under pressure, then pass it through the tunnel, maintaining orientation and avoiding kinks. I would straighten out the leg to ensure that there is no redundancy in the vein bypass, and so to the below-knee popliteal artery in an end-to-side fashion. After the bypass was complete, I would ligate the popliteal artery proximally and distally to the aneurysm, if there's no palpable pulse, at that time I would perform a completion angiogram. Okay, so when you were passing your tunneler,
1: unfortunately you encountered significant bleeding, what do you think happened? I'd be
0: concerned that I may have damaged the popliteal vein during tunneling. So what would you do if you encountered this injury? I would first pack the tunnel to get hemostasis. If that wasn't successful, I would explore through my two incisions see if I could find any side branch or vein injury and then I would plan to ligate the bleeding vessels.
1: So your bypass goes well how would you like to surveil this
0: patient? For a bypass I obtain ABIs and an arterial duplex at one three and six months then annually thereafter.
1: So on the initial CT scan the patient also has a popliteal aneurysm in the other leg. What is your criteria for repairing an asymptomatic popliteal artery aneurysm?
0: If the aneurysm is greater than 2 centimeters, if there is a significant thrombus burden, or if the patient has compressive symptoms, I would offer an elective repair in an asymptomatic patient. Okay,
1: so if there are compressive symptoms from those aneurysms, and let's say it was 6 centimeters instead of 3 centimeters, how would you approach it differently?
0: Yes, given the compressive symptoms, I would plan to approach it from a posterior approach and replace it with an interposition bypass.
1: Great. Can you please describe
0: that operation for me? So after general anesthesia, I'd place the patient prone. I'd make a lazy S incision from superior medial to inferior lateral over the popliteal fossa. I'd identify the tibial nerve and protect it. I'd gain proximal and distal control of the popliteal artery. I'd heparinize the patient systemically to an ACT of greater than 250 seconds. Then I'd open the aneurysm sac, deliver any thrombus, and over geniculate back bleeding. I would then perform an interposition bypass with ringed PTFE, then close the aneurysm sac over the graft. I would close the incision over a drain and check distal pulses. So, let's say this patient was not a great open surgical candidate.
1: How would you approach the repair in this situation?
0: If the patient did not have significant compressive symptoms, I'd offer an endovascular repair with placement of a covered, self-expanding stent graft. Okay, are there anything that can help us
1: predict how well an endovascular popular aneurysm repair will go and kind of what the patency of it will be?
0: Yes, so the quality of the tibial vessel runoff has been correlated with patency.
1: Let's say you're dealing with a common femoral artery
0: aneurysm now. What is your
1: size criteria for fixing this?
0: I treat femoral artery aneurysms when they are greater than 25 millimeters in size okay so let's say it's an aneurysm that's 3.7 centimeters and extends
1: the femoral bifurcation what's an approach you could take to this one
0: so in that case i would plan to perform an external iliac to superficial femoral artery bypass with ringed ptfe with a jump graft bypass to the profunda femoris artery
1: be sure to listen to part b for high yield
0: commentary and other tips and tricks
1: behind the knife premium case 24 femoral and popliteal aneurysms a 60 year old man presents to the emergency department with acute onset burning pain in his right foot that began one day ago accompanied by sensory changes and no motor loss he's otherwise healthy and has no significant medical history in the right foot capillary refill is delayed Impulses pulses are non-palpable when compared to the normal capillary refill and palpable pulses in the left foot. How would you like to proceed?
0: With a pronounced exam difference between the two extremities, I'm concerned for acute limb ischemia of the right leg. I perform a targeted history and physical exam focusing on prior occurrence of these symptoms, prior diagnosis of aneurysms, and the quality of pain. I'd also perform a heart, lung, abdomen, and peripheral vascular exam.
1: Even in cases where the diagnosis may seem obvious, slow down and make sure to ask targeted questions in relation to acute and chronic limb ischemia and the ideology. Acute limb ischemia from cardiac embolus due to AFib or known abdominal aortic aneurysm with thrombus can change your management. These are likely check boxes for the examiner to give you credit in regard to obtaining a focused but detailed history. He has never had this issue before and was never told that he has any aneurysms. The pain is sharp and constant and his exam is as stated before. What workup would you start with?
0: I'd begin with an ABI and I'd also order a CTA abdomen and pelvis with bilateral lower extremity runoff.
1: When dealing with limb or life-threatening emergency, have a low threshold to order a CTA. As you can likely get the most amount of information the quickest and allows for adequate surgical planning. The ABI is one on the left and 0.3 on the right. The CTA shows a normal aorta and inline flow through his right lower extremity until the popliteal artery. He has an occluded three-centimeter popliteal artery aneurysm with no pacification of his tibial vessels. What would you like to do now?
0: Given the fact that his outflow is compromised and he has Rutherford 2a acute limb ischemia, I would begin by systemically heparinizing him and perform an emergent angiogram and attempt thrombolysis of the aneurysm to reestablish tibial flow. Although some may consider it controversial, a
1: thrombospopular aneurysm, With acute limb ischemia and Rutherford 2B ischemia is one clinical scenario where an attempt at lysis and advanced ischemia is acceptable. This is because when the popular aneurysms occlude, they tend to obliterate the tibial outflow. Thrombolysis can help establish tibial runoff for future interventions. Okay, so how are you differentiating between Rutherford 2A and not
0: Rutherford 1 or 2B? As he has loss of sensory, he has progressed past Rutherford 1 acute limb ischemia, which is just pain, and he has not lost motor yet. If he did, it would be classified as 2B.
1: Rutherford classification may seem too simple for the boards, but knowing the difference between 1, 2A, 2B, and 3 will help you alter your management algorithm. Okay. So, during your angiogram, you're able to get across and establish tibial flow. At what rate will you run your thrombolysis?
0: I'll administer TPA through the lysis catheter at 1 milligram per hour, along with heparinized saline through the sheath side port. Okay, so are there any important labs that you'd like to check during your thrombolysis? I would have checked a fibrinogen prior to initiation of thrombolysis. Then I would repeat a CBC, fibrinogen, and coagulation factors every six hours.
1: When popliteal aneurysms lead to acute limb ischemia, there generally is minimal tibial outflow as the aneurysm has likely been chronically embolizing and occluding the tibial vessels. For this reason, if you do not have motor loss, lysis is generally the best option in order to open the tibial outflow to allow any final repair. Do not forget to mention one of the critical aspects of lysis treatment, which is close observation in the ICU to observe for bleeding at the axis sites or in the brain. So you do that, and the next morning he is feeling better and has a palpable pulse in his foot. His follow-up angiogram demonstrates inline flow to the foot through
0: the posterior tibial artery. What would you like to do now? At this time, I would discontinue lysis and have the patient vein mapped in preparation for a bypass to treat and exclude his aneurysm.
1: Okay, so he has good caliber saphenous vein on both legs. Please describe your operation to me.
0: So after the induction of general anesthesia, I'd make a longitudinal incision below the knee posterior to the tibia to expose the below-knee popliteal artery, keeping the gastrocnemius muscle posterior. I would then make a longitudinal incision above the knee at the adductor canal to expose the above knee popliteal artery, ensuring that the sartorius muscle is posterior. I would then tunnel in an anatomic plane. I'd harvest ipsilateral great saphenous vein through the length of the thigh and place it in vein solution. I'd heparinize the patient to a goal of ACT greater than 250 seconds. I'd reverse the vein, flush it with solution, and repair any defects. I would then perform the proximal anastomosis in an end-to-side fashion, mark the vein under pressure, then pass it through the tunnel, maintaining orientation and avoiding kinks. I would straighten out the leg to ensure that there is no redundancy in the vein bypass, and so to the below-knee popliteal artery in an end-to-side fashion. After the bypass was complete, I would ligate the popliteal artery proximally and distally to the aneurysm. If there is no palpable pulse, at that time, I would perform a completion angiogram. Okay, so when you
1: were passing your tunnel, or unfortunately you encountered significant bleeding, what do you think happened?
0: I'd be concerned that I may have damaged the popliteal vein during tunneling. So what would you do if you encountered this injury? I would first pack the tunnel to get hemostasis. If that wasn't successful, I would explore through my two incisions to see if I could find any side branch or vein injury And then I would plan to ligate the bleeding vessels.
1: With patients and hemostatic agents, venous injuries should stop, though exploration may be necessary in rare instances. If concerned for an arterial injury, an angiogram could help identify it. This highlights the point of performing the tunnel before heparinizing to reduce the risk of a tunneling injury. So your bypass goes well. How would you like to surveil this patient?
0: For a bypass, I obtain ABIs and an arterial duplex at one, three, and six months, then annually thereafter.
1: So on the initial CT scan, the patient also has a popliteal aneurysm in the other leg. What is your criteria for repairing an asymptomatic popliteal artery aneurysm?
0: If the aneurysm is greater than two centimeters, if there is a significant thrombus burden, or if the patient has compressive symptoms, I would offer an elective repair in an asymptomatic patient.
1: Okay, so if there are compressive symptoms from those aneurysms, and let's say it was 6 centimeters instead of 3 centimeters, how would you approach it differently?
0: Yes, given the compressive symptoms, I would plan to approach it from a posterior approach and replace it with an interposition bypass.
1: In rare cases, a large popliteal aneurysm can cause compressive symptoms of the tibial nerve or popliteal vein. This can present as leg swelling, pain, or paresthesias. In these situations, it is critical to not just bypass, but to excise the compressive aneurysm. Great. Can you please describe that operation for me?
0: So after general anesthesia, I'd place the patient prone. I'd make a lazy S incision from superior medial to inferior lateral over the popliteal fossa. I'd identify the tibial nerve and protect it. I'd gain proximal and distal control of the popliteal artery. I'd heparinize the patient systemically to an ACT of greater than 250 seconds. Then I'd open the aneurysm sac, deliver any thrombus, and over geniculate back bleeding. I would then perform an interposition bypass with ringed PTFE, then close the aneurysm sac over the graft. I would close the incision over a drain and check distal pulses. So, let's say this patient was not a great open surgical candidate.
1: How would you approach the repair in this situation?
0: If the patient did not have significant compressive symptoms, I'd offer an endovascular repair with placement of a covered self-expanding stent graft. Okay, are there anything that can help us predict
1: how well an endovascular popular aneurysm repair will go and kind of what the patency of it will be?
0: Yes, yeah, so the quality of the tibial vessel runoff has been correlated with patency. For the boards, I would not perform a
1: stent graft repair of a popliteal aneurysm unless there's at least two-vessel inline flow to the foot. The rate of thrombosis is too high with a single-vessel runoff. This emphasizes the point of a successful lysis or mechanical thrombectomy at presentation to help preserve tibial runoff. Let's say you're dealing with a common femoral artery aneurysm now. What is your size criteria for fixing this?
0: I treat femoral artery aneurysms when they are greater than 25 millimeters in size. Okay, so let's say it's an aneurysm that's 3.7
1: centimeters and extends the femoral bifurcation. What's an approach you could take to
0: this one? So in that case, I would plan to perform an external iliac to superficial femoral artery bypass with ringed PTFE with a jump graft bypass to the profunda femoris artery.
1: Saphenous vein is generally too small to reconstruct the common femoral artery, and given the relatively short nature of the bypass, PTFE or Dacron make good first-line conduits. Some people prefer to bypass the profunda first as it is deeper, then do a jump bypass off this to the SFA, similar technique for the internal iliac. Thank you for listening to Behind the Knife Premium Oral Board Review.
0: Dominate the day.